If you have your Bibles and want to turn with me, I'm bringing the message this morning from 1 John chapter 4. I'll read the entire passage this morning, pulling a few thoughts from this passage that we've gone through in greater detail in the past, but we'll uh, go through it this morning, and if you would hear now the Word of God with me as we turn to His Word together, focusing our attention upon our great Lord. 1 John, 4th chapter, beginning at verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This you know, the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, as the world and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of the truth and error, and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if, we, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. And we have known and believed that love that God has for us God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love Him because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from Him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Our gracious Father in heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, we ask that you would guide us now in the preaching of your word and instill in us a greater zeal and resolve to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor. Our Father, as we come to the close of this year and to the beginning of another, we pray that your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And so hallow your name in us and through us and do of your good will and your good pleasure. And Father, we pray that You would now take command of our minds and send Your Spirit and pour out Your Spirit upon the preaching of the Word. And pray that You would give the, the preacher liberty in the pulpit this morning. And that You would work that which is well-pleasing in Your sight, sending forth Your Word to produce the fruit that would please You. And that it would lodge deeply into fertile hearts, that it would produce a sixtyfold and hundredfold fruit for your great name, so that as the waters do cover the sea, so your glory and the knowledge of your glory will cover the entire earth. And we pray that you would do that work in us this morning. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. You may be seated. Here we are at the end of another year, and what a year it has been. And yet we're also at the dawn of a new year. And traditionally, I've given a message on either this last Lord's Day of the going out year or the first Lord's Day of the coming in year in order to focus our attention on what I hope that we can have a little emphasis on for the coming year. And so looking into this next year, the thing that strikes me that we need to be about is growing in love. And so I've entitled the message, Growing Our Love in 2021. As I prayed about what is it, Lord, that we need to be focused about and and what can be something that we can be a little narrowly mindful about, what would that be? And this kept coming up from different passages with different themes, but it is to grow our love. Seems to be confirmed this morning when I got um, a text somewhat out of the blue by one of the deacons in our denomination in another church that said, I'm praying for you and Keith and for your church that your love will grow this next year. Well, there you go. All right, there was a token of grace there that assured me that I'm on the right path. As we read... As we read of the message that we heard earlier in the reading of the New Testament text from Revelation chapter 22, we're hearing of a message that Jesus himself is sending to the church of Ephesus. Now the church of Ephesus, when Jesus was writing this letter there, they did a lot of good things. And they had a lot going for them. This was a large church in a large metropolis. And you may remember that Paul's ministry in Ephesus was characterized at first by a powerful work of the Spirit of God. There was a revival that went on there, and so powerful was his ministry that the dark forces of Ephesus were being overcome. Magicians were taking their books and burning them at great expense to themselves. In other words, they were burning the oxen's yoke. They were finishing their careers as magicians. Their careers were over, and they were gladly now to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and start all over with something new. The church grew rapidly, and it grew mightily, but at some point, after they had great discernment and discerning the the wicked works of the Nicolaitans, after they were able to discern between that which is good and that which is evil, even in teachers and those who would come as apostles and who would come in the name of Christ, but not really bring the message of His redemptive love. At some point along the way, they left their first love. And this was the chastening letter, or part of the letter. So while he commended the church of Ephesus, he was chastening them to repent and return to the love from which they have departed. The work of the ministry was still going on. Activity was flourishing. They persevered even under challenging circumstances, but somewhere along the way they they left priority in their love for Christ and for His people and to their neighbor. The message this morning is not a rebuke to us that we have left our first love, but it is rather an encouragement to grow in our love throughout this next year because we are always in danger in falling away from it, especially in busy and active times. We have a lot going on in this church, and God is at work here. God has blessed this congregation tremendously. But if we are not careful, and if we're not deliberate, we can easily allow the activity to displace a genuine love for God, for one another, and for our neighbor. 
As we look back at 2020, we've seen almost a 20% growth in our membership. We have been working for almost eight years in praying, hoping, and designing a church building, and we are nearing the end of that very long and tedious process to finalize those plans and to break ground on the property on Highway 50 with hope that we might even be in it this time next year. We have seen an active pro-life ministry that has not only led to the saving of babies, but also to the saving of a soul. We have seen our music ministry grow and flourish with some very committed praisers who have led our music and leads our praise to energize us in delighting in our God. We have seen our local fire department grow and many of our folks serving our local community in selfless service of volunteering and giving of their time and effort to help others in need. We have seen our heritage response team continue to faithfully work behind the scenes to provide for the safety of this ministry and for you, and to take care of physical needs. We have seen another deacon added to our diaconal ministry. We have participated joyfully in three weddings and baptized six people. We have suffered together in the loss of a very young child. And the Lord has allowed us to continue meeting together every Lord's Day without missing a one in the midst of a world suffering through a pandemic, the likes of which we've not known in our lifetime. Those who have gotten the virus even among us have so far recovered to full health and we've experienced no loss of life through this epidemic. God has been so good to this church in a very difficult year. Amen? And we're not only at the end of that year, but we're on the dawn of a new year, not knowing what things may come. As the ball goes down and breaks, everybody's going to cheer the outgoing of 2020. But we don't know what 2021 may hold. But we do know this, that God loves us beyond our imagination. God loves us with an everlasting, eternal love. And one thing we need to be about is growing in our love. Our love for God, our love for one another, and our love for the neighbor outside. Because love will strengthen us. Love will overcome our enemies. Love will be the bond that unifies us and keeps us together no matter what comes our way. Love will hold us together and it will hold us up. And love will transform the world around us and it will drive away our fears. There's nothing more practical to do in 2021 than to grow in our love. So as we come to the end of 2021, should we get there this time next year, I hope we can look back on it and see that our love has grown and our love has flourished in our church and in our congregation. I hope that we can see each other and we can note progress has been made. That we are more open and transparent with one another. That we, by that time, will be even more tolerant with one another. Less critical. That we can overlook each other's faults. That we might remember the Gospel is a Gospel that not only saves us from our sins, but continues to forgive us when we fall short of God's glory. And that we can likewise forgive and easily forgive the sins and transgressions of others against us because we can look at how much God has forgiven us. So let's practice the Gospel in real, genuine love 
I hope that we can look back and see that we encourage each other more in the Gospel. I hope we can look back and see that we're more giving then than we are today. And that we are more enraptured and in awe of God than we are today. This is not an indictment upon our failings and shortcomings, though we do that often, but this is an encouragement for progress, a focus. The passage before us begins with discernment in verses 1 through 6, to test the spirits, to discern error. And this is what Jesus was commending the church of Ephesus for doing well. Love is not indiscriminate in its characteristic. Love and truth are inseparable. And to love God and one another, we must rejoice in the truth and not rejoice in error or lies or unrighteousness. Love does not turn a blind eye to wrongdoing. But we see then in verses 7 and 8, love, this love of which the Bible is commending, this love which says it is true in us, this love which is commending us to grow and abound in this love, its source is God. It begins with God. If you think about it from that doxology that the Apostle Paul has at the end of Romans chapter 11, where he says that it is of God and through God and to whom be God or to God be home all the glory forever and ever. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be the glory forever. And so we see this is true with love. God is the source of love. It does not originate in man. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. When God regenerates a fallen sinner, He puts His Spirit in the person and brings that sinner alive with love. And that love in man than he has for God, originates with God Himself. We did not first love God, but God loved us first. See, Love is an attribute of God. And love is so characteristic of God that the Scripture states that God is this characteristic. God is love. The love that God generates in fallen sinners is a love for God Himself. This is one aspect that our first love must maintain, must foster, must grow in, is our love for God Himself. A love for God. Is that where we need to have our first priority? Because this is the very nature of the salvation that we have with Him, where He changes our heart from being selfish and proud, and where we love ourselves. And we're enmity with God and we get disturbed easily with others and the works of the flesh or anger and wrath and all of these things because we are being disturbed in our own little world. And that's what God comes down and He takes care of and He regenerates and changes that so our love then goes upward to God where we did not love Him before. This love, as Jonathan Edwards would call it, is a love of complacency. Now, the word in Jonathan Edwards' day was a little different than how we use it today. The term complacency in Edwards' day meant, and if we can just use it in its simple way, pleasure. To take pleasure in, delight in. To love God means that you have pleasure in Him, you take delight in Him. It involves the whole being of man. And while it does involve our emotions, it is much more than a feeling. Love for God involves action. But it's not just an action. We have to be deliberate about loving God. 
reading your Bible and praying and going to church are all good things. They're all actions that you can do, but you can actually do all three of those things without loving God. You have to make time to delight in God. Have a love of complacency. This quiet delight. This pleasure in God. This attraction to His beauty and reveling and exulting in His glory. Conversing with God. Now if you want an illustration of this, just look at one of those three couples that got married this past year. And just observe them. And there is a complacency of love and the old way of using that. When you fall in love with someone, there's always something to converse about. There's always something to talk about. There's always wanting to be together and, and you want to hold hands and you, you want to just share in life and participate together. And God says, yeah, that's right. They're learning about each other. And they'll continue learning. You know, I've been married last, last week. It was 32 years. I'm still learning about this wonderful woman that God gave me. We study it out. We don't stop learning. And it's not just a head knowledge. It's, a, it's an intimate knowledge that you might know God is this experiential knowledge in the One that you love. very few people are very com are comfortable marrying a stranger. Now that happens in the world, but it's not a comfortable place to be, and it's not a comfortable place to stay if that ever happened. You're going to want to grow in your knowledge of the person. The more you learn, and the more you learn about positive attributes and virtues, the more you're drawn to that attractiveness and your love grows. And so you have to set a time, some side. You have to make time, some deliberate time, to delight in God. Now the Bible's going to instruct you how to do that, yes. But your prayer life may be more of the manifestation of your genuine love. So, do you take time? Are you deliberate in your fellowship, in your conversation with God, in your delighting in Him and taking pleasure in God Himself. Kids, do you do that apart from family worship and apart from mom and dad telling you to go have your devotions? And, or, do you actually delight in God? Taking pleasure. Sometimes you have to just stop and slow down and look up into the stars or look out into a falling leaf in your backyard. Or look into the barren trees and see the blue sky behind them. Or the clouds that float ever-changingly in a dynamic way that paints God's pictures before our eyes in an ever-changing scene. Or those sunsets or sunrises that our eyes happen to see. Or whatever it is, we have to stop and we have to take pleasure in God. For studied are the works of God to those who take pleasure in Him. Worship and singing and praise are all demonstrations of a genuine love if it's coming from the right heart. But love is going to take self-sacrifice. And that's even true for God if you're going to love God. You sacrifice your time and your resources, and your personal desires in order to delight in God and have a mutual time of fellowship with God? Do you get on your knees and pray and it's all about give me, give me, give me, give me. Help me, help me, help me, help me. And while God knows you have need of those things, are we mindful that it is first and foremost the glory of God that we seek? Hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Oh yes, Lord, I, I have needs. Would you give me this day my daily bread? Lord, forgive me of my sins and lead me not into temptation. But get God the priority. 
and fellowship with Him. Be silent on your knees before God and listen to the still small voice and communicate and converse and enjoy and take pleasure and take delight in who He is. Love the Lord your God and grow your love for Him this year. It's not to be equated with devotional time. It's not to be equated with Bible study. You can go through all of those motions and activities in a perfunctory way and still not love the Lord in that activity. I commend time for devotion. I commend Bible study. But for the very purpose and object for which you ought to do that, and that is to enjoy and delight in God Himself. For 2021, I'd like to encourage us all to grow in our love for God. To grow in our pleasure and delight in God Himself. Studying the Bible is a good thing when it leads us to the love and to studying out who this God is so that we might know Him better. And so I commend that for love. Not merely learning some new head knowledge that can puff up. There is a difference but so that our hearts might grow and that our love for Him might be manifest in new ways. This year, strive to love God more. Make time for your love. Well, we see the manifestation of that love in verses 9-10 through 10, where He demonstrates and manifests this love. Because where genuine love exists, there will always be a manifestation of it. When there's smoke, there'll be fire. And there's going to be a manifestation of fire as it produces the smoke. Love is not merely a verb. But it is so characterized by action that genuine love manifests itself in action, in verbals. God, God's love was so manifested for us in action. It wasn't an action in response to something that we did, it was, but quite the contrary. God's love was manifested in, in sending His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. The propitiation means to appease wrath. And God sent His own Son to appease His wrath toward us. And that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Not because we deserved it, not because we were entitled to it, but quite the contrary. Not because we loved Him and we wanted Him to do this, quite the contrary. We were at enmity with God through wicked works and our minds were upon ourselves and our focus was upon us. And here was in that state, Christ died for us and God demonstrated His love toward us. God's love took the initiative. It moved first. And in fact, it is God's love which precipitates love in us all. It was a tremendous sacrifice of God the Father to send His Son. It was a tremendous sacrifice of God the Son for you and a tremendous sacrifice of God the Holy Spirit. We were not entitled to it. We don't deserve it. And yet, that's exactly the character of God's love. Now you have to register that because that's what He's called you to do to others. In verse 11, because God has loved us, we ought to love one another. And this is the main application through the end of chapter 3 and throughout all of chapter 4. If God truly abides in us, we will love. It's an indicative. It's something true. But that which is true in us, He also commands. He stirs it up. And so therefore, if you have God abiding in you, you will love. You will love God. You will love one another. 
And yet it is because of this very fact that Jesus is writing the message to those who are in Ephesus, and He's saying, you lost this. You need to come back and repent to it. You need to turn back to this first love. But this godly love is going to require a self-sacrifice. And that is what the Gospel call is all about. That's what we've been reading and studying through Matthew. You are to, if, to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow Jesus. You are to die to yourself. And to follow Jesus means you are going to sacrifice to love. When we consider the topic of this biblical love, we can consider it in two aspects. One I've already alluded to, and Jonathan Edwards has helped us delineate these two concepts. Number one is the love of complacency, taking pleasure, taking delight in someone. I love taking delight in my wife, and I love being with her, my children. But then there's a second aspect, and that's a love of benevolence. Now, the love of benevolence is not based on the loveliness of the object of our love. It's rather your benevolence, your goodwill toward the person that you are loving. This is the way that God first loved us. Your aim in the benevolent love is to do good and to bring about something beautiful while you're not responding to beauty. You're not responding to the attractiveness of which you are taking pleasure in, but you are acting in goodwill in order to bring about beauty. You don't have to take delight in a person to love them. And often is the case that the love of benevolence will precede the love of complacency. The love of pleasure and delight. You will love somebody not because you're responding to their beauty or their attractiveness or to their pleasantness to even be around, but rather to bring that beauty about. When that beauty begins to develop in the person that you are loving, then the love of complacency, that pleasure, that delight in that person will grow. This is why love is so tremendous. This is why it's so powerful. This is why it overcomes the world. Husbands, love your wives as Christ, as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her. I was reading a book in the, in this, the counselor was giving the illustration that someone came up to him and, and said, I don't love my wife anymore. The counselor says, go love your wife. He says, but I don't love her anymore. Go love your wife. And pretty soon the, the husband was a bit irritated. And he goes, I don't understand. What do you mean? I just told you tw- twice. I don't love my wife anymore. And the counselor would say, yes, but love is an action before it is a feeling. Your feelings of love will come after you are active in loving What he's basically saying is love with the benevolent love and the love of complacency will follow. The pleasure will follow. Husbands, that's a good application for you to do this next year. Let your love grow in 2021 for your wife. Take pleasure in her. Delight in her. But when things are such that there's tensions and you don't love her in that way, love her to bring about that beauty, but you go love your wife and you take initiative and you make the first move and you pursue your wife and you love your wife as Christ also loved the church. And you can do that. If God is in you, there's very things that you're longing for will come along after. See, the love of benevolence does not come naturally. This is not natural in the way that we are born, but it is something that God has given us, and if God abides in you, you will love in these ways. It's really a demonstration of God's love working in us and through us. And it demands you. It demands your sacrifice. It demands your person. 
But sometimes this kind of love just seems so impractical. It seems impractical. It's not impractical, but it seems that way sometimes. To, to accomplish something, that's practical. To go and, and do something, that's practical. To see some results of a project, that's practical. To, to go somewhere, that's practical. But love often seems so inefficient and so impractical. Some of those impractical characteristics of love will include a loss of your resources when you love. You remember the woman who came to Jesus with an expensive alabaster box of expensive perfume, and she then expended all of this perfume upon Jesus? And Matthew and Mark's gospel said, his disciples grew indignant. John names the disciple that was leading in that, and his name was Judas. Oh, we should have taken that and sold it and given to the poor. How much better use would that have been? It seems so impractical. Lord, I'm a utilitarian. We're going to be practical about this. We're going to make sure. How often do we think about it that way? See, love is going to sometimes seem impractical. Jesus defended her. And there's going to be some times when it just seems impractical to love somebody because it's going to have a cost of resources, a loss of things that could be used for something else, something utilitarian, something of practical use. But now you're going to, to lose these resources by expending them into somebody else's life. In another sense where it may seem impractical is because we do that with our time. It's going to require time to love people this way. Wasting precious time. Could be doing something more productive. Yeah? Right? You know, this lack of love is the root of impatience in our lives. We don't stop. We don't give time. We rush on. We become impatient because we need to be about something productive. Or we need to be about this or that. We simply don't take time for another. Love takes time. It takes lots and lots of time. It seems impractical. And sometimes it seems impractical when it's a loss of self. A sacrifice of a life. Sacrifice of yourself. Of your self-interest. Of the things you want to do. Or would rather be doing rather than helping someone who, to accomplish what they want to do. But in the previous chapter, it says, by this we know love, because He laid down His life for us. He gave His life. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children... Let us not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Love is going to be engaged in deeds. The deeds of visiting people in the hospital when it's very inconvenient for you. The deeds of taking some time when you had other things to do and you're going to make a meal to take it over to someone that is sick. The deeds of going and encouraging somebody who needs some encouragement or time to take and write a little note to send it to someone who may not even need it. But you're going to express love. You're going to invest your life to bring about something more beautiful in the life of somebody else. And by doing so, you will take pleasure and delight in that person and in God. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Again, we can do good deeds and not have genuine love. 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us of this. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but not have love, it doesn't profit anything. It's not going through the motions of the actions that then equals love. It literally is an expression of our life to God in thankfulness and praise divesting of ourself to invest in somebody else, 
to bring about the beauty out of them so that pleasure can happen with God and with other people. And we love. Love can seem so impractical. Loss of time, loss of resources, loss of some of my life. It might cost you your entire life. Seems so opposed to achievement or results. But without love, we are nothing. Whatever we do will not count for anything of practical use. On the one hand, God's sending His own Son to die for us. That seems pretty impractical when you think about it in those terms. Wouldn't it have just been more efficient if He just wipes it all away and starts all over again with a clean slate? He could have done that. That's not our God. That's not the way God does it. But your purpose in life is going to be defined by being an agent of God's love. And the greatest filter through which we need to be thinking and feeling and acting is through our love for God, our love for one another, and our love for our neighbor beyond. That needs to be a filter through which we think about life. The way I'm responding, the way I'm relating, the way that I'm about to write, or the way I'm about to to scold, or the way I'm criticizing, or the way I'm judging others. All of that needs to be reined back in, brought back through the love of God for you, and then filter that through to love from there. The passage ends showing the connection between your genuine love for God, which is demonstrated in your love for the neighbor. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? The expression of your vertical relationship with God, the manifestation of that is going to happen in your horizontal relationship with your fellow man. So as we move into a new year, it's my hope and my prayer that all of us will grow in our love. It's my prayer that my pastoral love and compassion for the sheep will grow deeper and more profound that my love for my wife will grow, that my love for my children will grow, my love for the unlovely will grow, and I will begin investing life and time and resources to bring out beauty where there is none. And then in time, I will be able to enjoy complacency, pleasantry, delight in that which God has done. See? So join me in this, this next year, in praying for this to grow. That we can love God first with our time. Not just going through the motions. Not just coming here and putting the check mark on the list, but to love Him with your resources and your time and with your singing and with your heart and with your expressions and with your testimony and with your praise, whether it be here or whether it be out there, you will praise God and acknowledge Him in all of your ways. No matter whose presence you're in. Take delight in Him. Study Him out to appreciate more of His beauty because the more you understand His beauty, the more you're attracted to that complacency, that satisfaction, that delight in the things that makes Him beautiful. The psalmist says He beautifies His people with salvation. And then love one another. Grow in your love in two ways. Grow in your love of complacency. I'm using the old term. Grow, learn to delight in one another. This isn't just mere fellowship that happens on the Lord's Day evening. That's a part of it, yes. But find out what is attractive in others. Seek the good and stop criticizing the bad. Look at what God is doing and not what they continue to struggle in. Look with the eyes of faith and cheer what God is doing in their lives and see the good. And if you can't see it, there will be a time that you can. 
But right now, on the first aspect of complacency, learn to take pleasure and delight in God's people at a new level. Delight in love. It's not ever a waste of your time to love in this way. It may seem impractical if you're a very results-oriented, driven kind of type A personality who wants to get things done, but this will be incredibly practical in your life. And certainly in the kingdom and the lives of others. Don't hold offenses against people. God doesn't do that with you. Why are you going to do it with them? Don't hold a grudge. Don't harbor bitterness in your life. Don't go around with anger. Now, if it ever comes to a place where there's an issue between you and the brother, don't go talking to other people about it. Go and do what the Bible says. Speak the truth in love. That's loving the person. See? We need to grow in this. We need to grow in this. Love doesn't hold grudges. Get, get this now. Love does not envy, right? Love can vicariously delight and take pleasure in what other people are taking delight and pleasures in, even when the good gifts or the pleasures are not your personal experience. That's genuine love for that person. I know we often have this saying, oh, I'm jealous when you see somebody else having a good time or somewhere doing something that you're not privy of. Don't even use that word. Don't even joke around that way. Say, oh, I am so happy for you. It's almost as if I'm there enjoying it with you. Thank you for sending me these pictures and writing me about your experience because I am enjoying this with you vicariously. That's the spirit of love. I hope God magnifies it even more. Please write me and let me know when that happens. It takes pleasures when others are joyful and receives good things even when you can't have. That's what it means when love is not envious. So learn to take pleasure and delight in one another this next year. You can learn to do this with strangers and unbelievers out in the world because they're created in the image of God and so you can love them. You can love them mostly with the second aspect, the love of benevolence, expressing the goodwill toward others. Your aim here is to do good. You're not responding to necessarily beauty that's attracting you to the person. There might be people that you just really don't have uh, interest in, that you might be uncomfortable with, that you just don't care about, that you don't gravitate to. That doesn't mean you can't love them. That means that you are to love them at least first with this benevolent love. That you're not being attracted to the beauty that's in the person or with some characteristic that's drawing you together, but rather you are loving them in such a way that you are going to be, do, goodwill to bring about beauty. And after your loving act, it will be something more beautiful than when it was before. You can do that with anybody. You can sow seeds of kindness with anybody. A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up strife. Husbands can do that with their wives. Wives can do that with their husbands. Children can do that with parents and vice versa. But you can do that with the person that persecutes you and hates you. Be compassionate, not judgmental. Have pity on those who suffer. Smile to strangers who snarl. See, this will glorify God. This will glorify God. This is redemptive living. It's wherever you go, there's this, this, this perfume, this fume, that, this, this, this odor that comes behind you, and it's just a sweet-smelling aroma that just oozes out from your life because of the love where you go. See, love will strengthen our church. Love will unify us more solidly in one mind and one spirit. Love will be very practical, very, very practical as time goes on. It may seem impractical for the moment. It may seem like you're losing more than you're gaining, but it is never like that and it's never wasted. You never waste time, you never waste resources, and you never waste a life if it's invested in the love of Christ into other people. Love rejoices in the truth 
it rejoices in righteousness. It will learn how to speak the truth in ways that can be heard and can be received so that the love of Christ is manifest in our congregation. 2021, let's grow in our love to God. Grow in our love to one another in ways that it's manifest, in tangible ways. Manifest it in a way that our love grows to our neighbor and those around us in our community. Take delight in God and take delight in one another. And when you're having a hard time on the delight part of it, just have the love of benevolence so you're going to bring that beauty out. You can love. You have no excuses. And if you don't feel like it, do it anyway and the feelings will come. Love is an action. Love is an emotion. Love is something complex. But if the love of God abides in you and God is in you, you have the ability to love. Let's grow in it this year. Our gracious Father in heaven, we ask that you would give us help. Give us a desire to love even more. And when things get under our skin and rub us raw, we pray that we might be mindful of how often we do that with you and how often you forgive us and love us quite in spite of it. And may we then extend that love to our neighbor. Lord, we are broken vessels and we have so many ills and problems with the old residue of the old man. And yet, in new man in Christ, we are a new creature. And we're thankful for taking our love and turning it upon our Savior and upon our God and making that expression in loving one another. And we pray that that would bring forth much fruit this coming year. We thank you for the great love that you have for us in Christ. And we pray that would manifest itself through many opportunities that you avail to us this year. Help us to take advantage of those opportunities. Help us to live selfless lives knowing that you are doing your good will, your good pleasure, no matter what our circumstances hold for this next year. We pray that our love would abound more and more. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.